0: On Monday, the 9th of March, trading was automatically suspended on Wall Street for the first time in more than 20 years, when the S&P 500 fell 7% in less than 10 minutes. The next day, the index was up 5%, showing both the opportunism and insanity of share trading in the space of two days. It's tempting to put these dramatic falls down to hysteria, fear, panic selling, and no doubt those are important factors. However, it seems clear the real economy, the bricks-and-mortar economy, as it's sometimes still called, could be in for a rough ride. We'll try to break down the possibility of a global recession and what might be its immediate causes over the course of the next 15 minutes or so. Let's start with the obvious, Michael Roberts, COVID-19. Could the spread of the virus in and of itself lead to a global downturn?
1: Well, already the spread of the virus in China has led to uh, drastic measures being taken by the Chinese authorities to lock down a major province uh, in China. In fact, one of the key heartland areas of their industrial production and uh, supply chains and exports have taken a big hit. That's obviously spills over to the rest of the world because China is the second largest economy in the world and is much more important now in trade than it was uh, just uh, 20 years ago. Uh, or even since the Great Recession of 2009. So it's already had an impact on China. We can expect China to suffer a severe decline in its growth rate, which has been one of the highest in the world up to now, growing at, at around 6% in the last couple of years. It's going to fall to under 3 or 2, uh, maybe lower, we'll see, as a result of this dislocation. And, and now we have Italy also carrying out a form of a lockdown. Italy really has no growth at all already, so we are already in the position where the virus is having, if you like, that extra tipping point on global growth in some of the major economies around the world. So it is going to have an impact. The real question is how big an impact and how long will it last?
0: Let's move now to the oil price war, which, at least to the layman observer, seemed to come out of absolutely nowhere. The timing of it was absolutely extraordinary, almost comical, in fact, given markets were already on edge over COVID 19. The short version of the story is that Russia refused to cooperate with OPEC in curtailing oil production to keep prices around the 45 US dollar mark. Saudi Arabia responded by announcing it would increase output to over 10 million barrels per day. The price of oil promptly collapsed. What impact could this price war have on the world economy?
1: Well, I think this is almost as important as the uh, lockdowns and closure of uh, production as a result of the virus. I mean, it's a result. I think we have to be aware that oil prices have been struggling to stay up. They've come down hugely from the, in the last few years. And why is that? That's because global economic growth in the major economies has slowed significantly, whereas some of them were growing at 3 or even 4%. Uh, just a couple of years ago, now the growth rates in most of the major economies are down to under 2%, and in the case of Japan and parts of the Eurozone, we're actually in recession. So, and then emerging economies uh, like Mexico, Argentina, Brazil, uh, and others, have really got no growth at all and are also in recession. So, when there's a recession, there's a big uh, reduction in demand for energy and for oil in particular and therefore the price of oil comes under pressure. Countries that want to maintain their revenues try to increase uh, their production to compensate for a fall in price, and it just makes the uh, supply-demand situation even worse. So the result of this has reached a point where the two major producers in the world, the Saudis and Russia, had to make an agreement either to hold the price and reduce production or try and do each other in by going for an expansion of production and see who had survived if the prices dropped. Count these have decided to do that. They've got the biggest reserve, so they're going for trying to maintain and increase market share at the expense of everybody else, even if the price
0: falls. Let's take a step back now, Michael, and examine the constrained economic circumstances in which this possible recession may take place. You've pointed out on your blog, which I highly recommend to our listeners, that central banks, for instance, have fewer monetary levers to pull, given interest rates are already at historic lows throughout much of the world. Even the old trick of printing money or its modern equivalents, quantitative easing, has its limitations. And perhaps most worryingly of all, after a decade of rampant speculation built on the easy availability of cheap money for institutional investors... Global debt is at an all-time high, an astonishing $253 trillion, that's trillion US dollars, or 322% of global GDP. Does all of this mean the next recession, whenever it may come, could potentially be even worse than the Great Recession of 2008-9?
1: It's certainly a possibility, and whenever it may come, I think we're, we're more or less there. We're, the recession is definitely going to be hitting us over the next two quarters. Technically, mainstream economists like to say that recession is when two quarters there's a contraction in uh, national output in two consecutive quarters. And in a lot of countries, that looks like happening in the first half of, this, of 2020 up until June and maybe longer. So we are going to go into a recession in the major economies, the G7 and uh, also some of the other OECD economies, Australia is growing only at around 2%, which is pretty low for, for that historically. And they could fall even further. Uh, so we're going to see that situation develop over the next quarter or two. The question is how long it will last. And as you say, what will decide that are two things. First of all, first of all let's look at the underlying economy. There are two things which drive a capitalist economy. That's increased investment or falling investment. That's the key factor. What drives investment? Whether it's profitable for the capitalist enterprises, the big multinationals around the world, to invest. And profitability has been falling over the last couple of years quite significantly, and in most of the major economies now, even the mass of profit is stagnating and falling. So there's no incentive to increase investment, maintain expansion, maintain employment and income. And then... If you've got a lot of debt sitting on your balance sheet and a lot of smaller and medium-sized companies have that and there's any sign that you can't get any returns on it, you're already struggling to make ends meet, then there's going to be a series of bankruptcies which could follow and that will have a cascading effect through the corporate sector. Some big companies are already in trouble like Boeing after its uh, uh, airline jet uh, scandal and some of the, the car companies are really suffering as a result of the diesel gate scandal and the need to change towards electricity. And now, of course, we've had the huge losses that the airlines are taking from the virus. Um, We've had a collapse of the UK airline already, and there'll be others that are in serious difficulty. So whole layers of corporate sector are going to be in trouble. And if they've got a lot of debt, that's going to cascade through the system. So I think uh, we could say that the recession is with us. The real issue is with how deep it will be, and how long it will last. Uh, the governments want to do something about that, avoid it, reduce the effect. They're um, reducing interest rates. We'll see more interest rate cuts. The Bank of England's already done so. The Fed has done so. The European Central Bank will do so. Maybe the RBA will be doing so as well shortly. Uh, we'll see cuts in interest rates, perhaps an injection of credit to help small businesses to try and keep them going. And the other one is the government starts spending hugely. Our government here in the UK is having a budget right now and they're planning to boost uh, spending by borrowing more, having said for the last 10 years that they would never do
0: such a thing. Yeah, just just expand on that uh, a little bit, uh, Michael, because in the wake of the last Great Recession, there was at least a brief renaissance of Keynesian ideas and the ideas around demand management, the state maintaining demand through uh, fiscal stimulus packages, not necessarily in accordance with a, a perfect social democratic policy platform, but certainly to stimulate uh, demands in the economy. And as you say, the UK government's are borrowing and, and spending money. And, and here in Australia, the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, will tomorrow announce a $15 billion stimulus package including tax breaks and one-off uh, welfare payments. So Not necessarily, as I say, a revival of social democratic ideas or or Keynesianism, but it does contradict, doesn't it, the decades of neoliberal orthodoxy in terms of reduction in government and the the obsession with budget surplus. Suddenly that's turned around in the context of an economic crisis like this.
1: Exactly. What you see is that uh, theories can go out of the window and suddenly we are all Keynesians now, even if it's emergency Keynesian. Um, And that's the aim to the argument of the Keynesian theory uh, for your listeners, is that the solution to avoiding a crisis in a capitalist economy is to boost demand, uh, because what happens crises are caused by a lack of demand. What do they mean? They mean that there's a point where consumers no longer want to spend, they don't want to spend anymore, and companies don't want to invest anymore. So what we have to do is have the government intervene and either give money to the consumers to spend uh, or to, for, for the government to spend money to compensate for companies reducing their investment and their spending, that's the theory. Uh, I, I don't think that theory is right because history has shown that uh, the size of the capitalist sector is so great compared to the government sector that I mean, the capitalists spend, on average, in most economies like Australia, about 15% to 15 to 20% of GDP. GDP is in capitalist investment. The governments of uh, these countries are spending on their own just 2 or 3% of GDP. So even if you double that, and no government is proposing that, so say 4% or 5% of GDP, it would not be enough to compensate for a huge fall in investment and consumer spending, which will be the result of the current situation. So unless the government is prepared to take over the majority of investments in the economy, it's not going to make a difference. And none of these governments are prepared to do that because that threatens the very basis of uh, the capitalist ownership and production in the economy.
0: Finally, Michael Roberts, coming back to where we started, how important is China in all of this? The Manufacturing Purchasing Managers Index hit a record low in February. Many, many factories throughout the country remain either closed or nowhere near full capacity. We know that history is filled with strange and unexpected events. Black swans, as they're now sometimes called, which, by the way, is odd for us here in Western Australia, where black swans are common. But uh, could COVID-19 shift the centre of global manufacturing away from China, at least temporarily? And just how crucial is China's economic recovery in terms of the growth of the wider world economy?
1: Let me just say on the question of the black swan. You may have black swans, but as you know, None of us didn't <laughs> about that until about 200 years ago. Yeah,
0: correct, but correct.
1: the idea of the, the symbol of the black swan is that it's an unknown shock that hits an economy. And that's the argument presented about the virus. All I would say is the virus may have been an unknown shock, although there have been viruses before, and they could have had the impact they can have on the economy before. But there, it is not a surprise. It's no shock to know that the global economy has been slowing fast for the last year or two already. So this was just an extra factor, a tipping point into this recession. And listeners should uh, remember that, this it is not coming out of the blue in the sense that economies have been doing absolutely wonderfully and then they suddenly get hit uh, when they on the blind side. This was Trump slowing, things were slowing down fast already. And so China is, uh, was also slowing and therefore causing problems for places like Australia, to exports hugely to China, and generally on the level of trade. Global trade has dropped uh, dramatically in the last couple of years. So we're already in the position where China decides a lot of things about what happens in the world economy. And if they're unable to recover very quickly, and I think it will be a struggle, especially if the rest of the world has gone into recession, then it will be difficult to see that China can, as it were, lift the world out of this mess, and they'll take some time also uh, to recover. I don't think there'll be a switch of manufacturing to alternatives like, say, Taiwan or Vietnam or Malaysia. These places are just not big enough. They just don't have the amount of uh, production that could compensate for the losses that would take place in China. So China will reestablish its position as the manufacturing trading nation of the world. But, however, if it takes a long time to do so, then that will obviously also be, uh, lengthen the period of this recession and the recovery that follows from this black swan.